Welcome to me in. Ha-ha! It looks like the bard is about to begin. I'll pour ya an owl over the stories, fables, and tales about the swords, sickles, and spells in the depths of the swells. So take a listen to the tales that we spin here at the Trust Inn. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Carriage Rest Tales. I'm your host and Dungeon Master, Mike. And to my left, we have... This is Nick. I play Vato, the half-orc barbarian. Hey guys, it's Sam, and I play Woods, the elven ranger. Hey everybody, this is Ryan. I am currently playing Kincaid, and this episode is a... Mailbag! Hey guys, thanks for joining us. Um, It's been two full seasons. We are so excited. So we thought we'd have an official mailbag. We have over 20 questions that listeners submitted, and we thought we would just go around the table with our fearless DM as kind of our moderator. And we're going to kind of chat through the first couple of seasons of Care Dress Tales. So we'll let Mike take it away. I want to say thanks to everybody that sent in questions. We did it a little bit special this time where I reached out and had them actually call me and leave voice messages. So you're actually going to be hearing some of our listeners' voices ask the questions, and then uh, we can answer them. So this first one is from Anne here in Louisville. Hi, guys. Um, This is Anne. I just want to say I'm really, really enjoying your podcast, and thank you to all of you, and I'm looking forward to um, listening to this Q&A episode also. So here are my questions. For those of you who have played D&D, with um, other groups of people, um, how does this compare? What would you say are the biggest differences? Who wants to go first? This is actually the only group I've ever played with, so this is not for me. (laughs) 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 Believe it or not. Well, um, no, you played with, you played originally with like John, well, yeah, but he, Mike was still dungeon okay. master. Yeah, but it yeah, wasn't yeah. us. Like it okay. wasn't the three right. of us. So Nick is referring to the first time I got into D and D. I was like trying to get into it. It kept falling apart. And I was like, okay, if I actually want to play D and D, I just need to run the game so I can like schedule it, get it completed. But I didn't know who wanted to play. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna make a story based off of a city guard where people can just come play, and whoever shows up, that's who is on guard, quote unquote, that day. So I started this session or a campaign and it was like Nick, Ryan, Phil, John. There was, I think, a total of eight. Kevin, Landon. There was like eight eight or nine people. And like I had eight or nine people. I think the most that ever showed up at one point was like six people. It's usually around two to three. I really had to learn how to adjust encounters when I did that because I was like planning out things for like five people and two would show up. Like, oh, okay, no, we got to change this up a little bit. So that was kind of fun from a DM style, but that yeah. was the first time we started playing together. Yeah, that was, that was actually my first time ever playing. So <laughs> it was, for me, it was like learning, like, you know, how to run a character and, you know, just learning how to play D&D. And then, yeah, we figured out who was actually showing up, wanting to play every turn. And it was you and Ryan and our buddy Sam, who doesn't play with us anymore, but he uh, was the three that never missed a session. So we're like, oh, these guys like it. Let's use this group. Yeah. Um, I have played a bunch, especially if you listen to our one shots, um, we have an opportunity. I get to kind of play a lot of D and D with different groups and I love 
There are special things about all the groups I get to play with. Katie and AJ, I love playing with them. Bella and Eliza is so fun. Playing with Shannon, like she's so new to the game. But there's something very special about playing with the two of you, or I guess the three of you. <laughs> you guys are like my permanent DM. So, DM yep. Yeah, so I just feel like there's something like so special about playing with you guys. It just it clicks. I think we're all at the same level, right? So, and I think we've played so much together that we just like kind of can gauge where each other are going with stuff. And I absolutely love it. Well, Mike, you and I did a campaign with some of our mercer people yep it was kind of short-lived but it was fun those those group of guys were fun to play with yeah and then you ran a campaign for me your dad and i think it was zach and it's cory and cory no, no zach Corey wasn't, wasn't the one your dad ran yeah that and i got way one. over my head yeah and i'm trying not to do that with shannon so bear with me i still remember that because it was a. Uh, you got to a point where you had to siege a castle, and then I don't think you knew how to go from that, so it, we li literally never met again. Nope. I just pulled the plug. figure it out. That's power being That's the DM. That's what you got to do Based three months later. Y'all didn't know this. Y'all just died. <laughs> we, just, we sieged the castle died. and died. You didn't know it. You didn't make it. But I think it's so funny because I remember when we started playing in our first campaign, us, the one we didn't record, and we got to a spot where you got to a castle that was under siege. And I just see Ryan like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, it just happened. Yeah, you're going to pull this off. And he did it. He pulled it off. That's why he's the forever DM. Yep. Yeah. And I'm trying. Now, now that I remember, like, it was me, you, Ryan, and not Sam. The Sam, other Sam. The yeah. other Sam. And there, there's, like, one point where, like, we got separated. And you're trying to get Sam to come back. Oh, and he yeah, did. For Sam. some reason, the other Sam, it just, yeah, yeah it, never he, never, he never came back. And that's back when through. I came in. Yep. Yeah. And that's when Sam came in, yep. And then you guys Different couldn't Sam. shake me. Yep. <laughs> well, and then Sean used to play with us, too. That's yep. how we originally started. And I, and I do love playing with Sean. Sean's yep. so great. He's oh, you so DM'd fun. that one, right? I yeah. did DM. Oh, yeah. Oh, I hate DMing. <laughs> I, you guys probably all, if you listen to the Christmas episode, you probably felt how much I hated DMing. But anyway. So if people have listened to the one shots, uh, Sean played in a one shot with my brother. Oh, yeah. And it was super funny because <laughs> Sean likes to be out there with his characters. So we're playing in this one shot and he's like, oh, it's so nice to just play like a normal character for once. <laughs> His character was literally a dog in a suit of armor. <laughs> and a chihuahua, too. Like a little tiny dog a just like character sitting Sean? in the helmet. Pocket I night. love Sean. We have to get Sean to, like, fifth mic in one of our, one of our sessions. Like, yeah, just really. run an NPC or something Definitely. or just be a yeah, be yeah. an NPC. We should totally do that. We play The four of us play well together, yeah. All right. I want to play bards with your AJ. cousin AJ. Yeah. yeah. Just, we're just two bards. That what needs to happen. Music references like galore. Twins. Yeah, twin yeah. bards. <laughs> All right, let's hear from Brandon in Chicago. Hi, this is Brandon calling in from Chicago, Illinois. I have a couple questions. Uh, first one is in regards to Kincaid. There's reference that his age is thousands of years old. My question is, if he is that old, why does he only have 36 hit points instead of a lot more than that? And then also, wouldn't he be a much higher level in terms of sorcery. Second question is in regards to Woods. So when uh, her patron Lucha takes possession of her and she's in goddess form, I picture that much like Moon Knight. 
when his patron takes control of his body. Um, is it far-fetched to think that once she gains better control of this uh, ability, would she become invulnerable or uh, would she take on additional powers uh, or is it just what is happening right now is going to be the full extent of her goddess of voice. Thanks. So Kincaid, why do you only have 36 hit that points? That's such a good question. <laughs> I mean, you said to roll up a level 6 character yeah. and sorcerers only have like a d8 hit die, so... I feel like I would ac- assume because you just realized that you were I didn't that really, old. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know I was that old. I didn't know I was really a general general either. So yeah, I think Kincaid should have been a little bit more tanky, <laughs> yeah. a lot more hit points, a lot more spells. We I'm, just need redo season two. Redo season two. Yeah, yeah. I need to be more powerful. Yeah. I picture Kincaid like jumping back on Captain Brandon's boat just with so much more confidence and just being this like massive tank now and just knowing like, all the wisdom comes like flying back into his head. Do you have any thoughts, Nick? Yeah, I mean, Joe, you were stuck in that time warp, or right? Yeah, in space. So maybe that had something to do with so it. So maybe oh, my yeah. maybe my cellular age was <laughs> yeah. a thousand. So I just maybe I was like maybe Wolverine, you're, you're, where I was losing frog- my healing power after so long. I was right. really just like you're getting like weak and brittle. Hydrogenically frozen in time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you're hibernating. Yeah, so that's kind of the storyline of how it worked out. So yes, he's thousands of years old, but for the majority of that time, he was in this stasis, which I tried to allude to when you guys had that shared memory flashback, when you guys touch each other and you started seeing each other's memories. And I tried to mention multiple times that you were seeing this two worlds kind of floating in the distance, but you couldn't get to it. And the idea was that for thousands of years, Kincaid was really being tormented because he couldn't leave, but he couldn't do anything. Gotcha. He wasn't getting older. He didn't have to breathe. He was just kind of in this stasis of what I would have pictured just being absolutely terrifying and horrible. So he kind of blocked out all of his memories, which is why you didn't remember you were a general. didn't remember the life before because you were just kind of emotionally traumatized. That makes sense. I think I played that really well. You crushed it. Yeah, you crushed it. Like, you had no idea. I was like, super metagaming there. Like, you crushed it. Really wrote all that up, and he's just, I just, I won't, I'll pretend. Yeah. I just, yeah. Okay, so, Brandon, I would absolutely love it if Woods can officially turn into her deity and be Lucha. However, I know our forever DM, and that is not going to happen. Um, so I think that Woods' journey with um, Lucha is going to be very interesting in season three when we get to it. There's a couple of things planned. If you caught on to some of her affirmations, um, it kind of she alluded to what's going to look like in season three. But no, I don't think she's going to fully turn into her deity. I think it's more so she's going to try to learn how to harvest the power that the deity kind of sponsors her with. Good question, though. I do like that question. I also like that I have ideas and thoughts of where it's going to go, but I can't tell the players because I don't want to spoil anything. And I also feel like come season four, I'm going to have like no superpower. Like, I'm just going to be stripped of all things. You can tell me. I just established I'd play not knowing very (laughs) well. (laughs) Like a vault. Alrighty. Next question is from Lynn. 
how do this is for the player characters the players how do you feel like your characters have evolved over the course of the two seasons well, I've played two characters, so I don't have much of an evolution. <laughs> but so funny. Um, I, I will be interested in Nomis's development in season three. So yeah. I'll answer that question at the end of season three. Okay. Yeah, it's been kind of a roller coaster for my character because, you know, in, in season one, he was like, you know, happy to be part of the order, like an upstanding member of the order. And then at the end of it, he betrayed the order. <laughs> and yeah, all season two, he's been on the run. Um, just kind of upside down world for him. So um, just dealing with that. and No hand? Yeah, no hand. Got yeah, his, you lost Got his hand. arm cut off. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and now, now he's trying to learn how to open a rift, which, you know, if you, you go back to season one, Vasto, he would, no. Yeah. <laughs> or even, even early season two, like he, he wouldn't, Think of doing that, so I feel like we're persuading you. Yeah, I feel like we're corrupting you. Really, is what happened. Yeah. I feel like Woods is corrupting you. Yeah, Woods is corrupting me because yeah. Nomis has been gone. Yeah. See yeah. what happens when Nomis leaves. <laughs> See, sir. Um. Yeah, I think Woods. There's a lot going on with Woods in her mind. Like she still goes back and thinks about that weird dream that she had when she was like crawling towards a baby of herself. So that still kind of sits in the back of her mind. And she has been confused from the beginning. So even when she was at the Delray Sanctuary um, worshiping Sopalor, the god of sun, and then Lucha, the moon maiden, comes to her. So that's the reason that she's at um, the order. So she's just been confused the entire time, but I think her relationship is really growing with the Moon Maiden, and um, I guess, I mean, she's gonna be a paladin for her. That's what's gonna happen in season three. So, and I think her relationship with uh, Vaso is really growing. They bicker like brothers and sister, which I like. Yeah, we fight, a, we fight a lot. We fight a lot, but she, she's really sad, like, especially after the last, I just, I just re-listened to the last episode, and like, <laughs> She's really sad, which is funny because we were talking about this before the uh, before we started recording tonight. Nick goes, Sam, you know I'm not mad at you, right? I go, I know, <laughs> but like, feels that way. Um, so yeah, I think we've had, I think we've all had really good growth. Even like Kincaid, though, I feel like we corrupted Kincaid. Like he was very much mission critical. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do this, and we're like, yeah, but come over here and let's do this instead. <laughs> you are a corrupter, uh, I guess. Uh, well, I someone's gotta do it. We always blame. Yeah, words. we always blame. Blame words. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> with that, I'm going to feed into Dan's question because Sam kind of touched on something that he had a question about. Hi, I have a question for each of you, actually. For Ryan, where do you think Kincaid has been for the last several centuries, and do you think he was more powerful before he disappeared? For Sam, what do you think is the meaning of the vision that Woods had of her being a baby crawling in the forest? For Nick, why do you think Vaso gets angry when he's in or near Dorma? And for Mike... Uh, a general D&D mechanics question, actually. Can you explain what cantrips are and how they're different from other spells? Thanks a lot. Great audio, Dan. I don't know <laughs> yeah. what, where Damn, you called man. in from, but that, that was, was top awesome. notch. Yeah. Let's start with Vaso. We're going to do a reverse order, kind of. Okay. Um, yeah, so I believe Vaso gets angry um, when he gets close to, like, Dorma because I, I think it's... Um, uh, has to do with like the two souls like you got the one guy on the one side and the, the other guy on the other side 
and it's just sort of like a reaction. Um, so like if if my if Vasto's shadow person were to try to come over to the light side, the same thing would happen to him. You know, it's sort of like a uh, like a reaction thing. That that's my theory. Um, because I know with, with Woods, I, I believe Woods is uh, combined. Yep. And you, like, do you, uh, so you're happier or, or yeah, so I'm, are you basically the same? I'm content on both sides. Okay. I'm, I guess I'm a little bit more happy when I'm in Dorma. It's just a warm, cozy feeling. Yeah. Which I guess segues into my question from Dan. So Woods as a character and Sam as a player thinks about that often. Um, that dream of the babies drawing towards each other. And you guys haven't noticed, I'm not the best at putting pieces together. It takes me a really <laughs> long time. You don't even like listen to the conversations I have with the guys outside. And then also the conversations I have with Mike, but like, wait, hold on, what's happening? So um, I've pieced it together that my soul has been merged, right? So when I die, I actually die. This is what Woods thinks. When she dies, she actually dies. There's no shards. So she thinks that her her two souls have been merged. I think the dream wasn't a dream. I think, or I guess Woods thinks that the baby, that it happened when they were a baby. So I think her souls were merged. And I think that was actually something real that happened. It was, it's a memory and not a dream. So that's where that's where I'm at. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I was wondering that too, like, is yeah, it, uh, was it your Ivana side trying to find your Dorma side, but yep. we established, I guess you've already had a possible merger so yeah and I that think, makes sense i think i think sometimes because i or woods like storma so much that the vision i saw like the baby i saw coming towards me was actually the ivana and i have always been like the dorma side because didn't you always feel at peace when we went to dorma yeah so, so i think sense. i i don't know if it's a complete 50 50 but i if it's not i think um woods is uh is more towards the dorma side has more dorma in her than other so you think that your original state was on the dorma side yeah i think my original state was on the dorma side because i was a baby and then i was at the delray sanctuary so i don't know like she's starting to think like are her parents her parents like how did she get there you know what i mean so there's a lot of personal questions that kind of come to mind so maybe we can play that out in one of the seasons yeah so dan for your question uh when I did Kincaid's backstory, you know, his dad was a general, like a just like a fighter type, and his mom was a magic user. So Kincaid had trained in both areas, but always gravitated more towards spell casting. And then we learned that Kincaid was actually a general, and then through a flashback, had a memory of working with the Harbinger of Creation to fight and destroy the Chaotic God. So yes, I do think Kincaid was definitely stronger before the, what do we call it? The void. Yeah, the where he got all of his emotional trauma. His emotional <laughs> trauma. So I think during that stasis of centuries, I think maybe he forgot maybe a lot of his own power. And maybe that's why he was woke up feeling maybe weaker. He just didn't have the memories that he had of, the full memories, I guess, of yeah. his full potential. And I imagine as a magic caster, your memories, your practice is probably really built into your strength like knowing how to cast it how right. to tap into that font of energy so dan dealing with cantrips then so the way dnd works is everybody knows you can like swing a sword and barbarians can have battle axes rogues have daggers and they can 
each round kind of like stab somebody and deal 1d6 damage. When you're dealing with the spell caster, you're always thinking like, oh, they're casting these big mega spells, but they can only do it a handful of times. Mm -hmm. So they need something that they're going to do, but they're not going to be frontline fighters. So D&D has the cantrip mechanic, which is kind of where that dagger poke is coming in from. So they have a small spell that they can cast that doesn't use much energy, and they can do that as many times as they want, because that's the same as the rogue stabbing somebody as many times as they want. So like King K, one of his cantrips was Firebolt, and when you're a low-level magic user, I think the damage is like 1d10, but when you progress levels, the damage gets greater and greater. But he also had spells like Lightning Bolt and Tidal Wave that were larger spells that Mike were talking about and actually counted towards his magic stamina, Daily I guess if you want to call that, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of the what cantrips are there for, so that they can have their low-level attack or their low-level defense that they would entirely know that's not going to exhaust them. Kind of like a rogue can stab over and over again and not exhaust themselves, but if they're going to try to do some crazy feat, they're going to get tired. That's kind of the big spells, or that crazy feat. It also gives them something to do when they run out of spell slots. Yeah. Like, because I can't. So I mean, they're I not can, useless. Yeah, I can yeah. run out of bows, but like when you, have, unless you lose your sword, you can't really or, run out of store, sword stab or so. hand or, or get your arm cut off. <laughs> 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 unless you, R.I.P. Righty. I still love my little Easter egg. That was my favorite title so far. Oh yeah. After Vasa got his left arm chopped off, the title of that one is Vasa was all right. <laughs> mm-hmm, like A L L space R I G H T. He for days he talked about it. I know. I was so excited about days. that yeah. one. I, I know like, how it feels when I make a joke. And I know. Like, hey, you remember I know, that? I don't get that, as many as you. That's the only reason why you cut his arm off. So you only reason. Yeah. I need a strong that title, title yep. for this episode. I really can't wait for Nomis to notice that you <laughs> only have one hand. Or that yeah. you're bald and Oh yeah, that I'm bald, yeah. And I got a beard. He's like, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I miss my hair. All right, this next one is a question from Sue. Hi, Mike. This is one of your listeners. Um, my name is Sue, and I'm kind of one of the older listeners. I had my, my, my children suggested I start listening to podcasts, and they suggested yours. So, I started listening and sort of got hooked on it, and I'm enjoying it and following the adventures. My question is, what, what, where do you draw your storylines from? Um, is it from the news? Is it from past experience? Books? What causes the story to start taking place in your mind and then on paper and then on the radio, on your podcast? Thank you. I'd love the opportunity of being able to express this and talk to you about it. So thank you for giving us all the opportunity to get into your mailbag. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. So I was going to start with this one about inspiration of story stuff. Um, I typically pull a lot of my storylines from a variety of places, but mostly movies, anime, and books. And I'll kind of pull pieces from here and there. So it's not like I'm not running a whole anime storyline, but I'm like, oh, I really liked that little piece from this one. I like this from this book. Like the first campaign I ever did for these guys was based off of the Uphoon Throne series, which I really enjoyed reading by Brian Stately. And I was like, oh, that was a really cool they kind of did. So I pulled little pieces from it. This one's a combination of a bunch of different animes that I've thrown together. And then uh, 
actually the yin yang from Taoism I brought in because I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Light and darkness, good and bad. I was like, that'd be kind of fun to play around with inside of a world. So I also think you're just really creative. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> but I do want to have you guys answer this question for how you come up with your characters because you guys come up with some really awesome. We do. Stories, <laughs> backstories. Back in her chair. <laughs> we. So where do you pull your inspiration from? Well, so my character, if this is Nick speaking, I played Vaso. Wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry, your voice is not so distinct. I, I know, I'm sorry. Okay, um, so for my characters, like I'm a pretty introverted guy, so I tend to mirror that in my characters. You know, Vaso, he's, and even my character before this was, you know, the big strong guy, but like not, a lot of words like he'll talk but not you know crazy amount of words so not particularly loquacious yeah <laughs> oh sam's looking at me so i guess i'm answering <laughs> I next yeah uh, i'm a big music fan so a lot of my characters get inspiration from i guess past and current musicians um i did one character that was purely like grunge based he had grunge member band names. Oh, and his, I loved him. His, his name Stuff was Staley, Staley after yeah. uh, Allison Chains uh, lead singer. And his backstory was like a character named Cantrell helped him do something. And then he had Scott Weiland helping him do something. So I gained a lot of draw from musical. Music, yeah. And then Nomis, of course, was a bard and kind of went 180 on him and drew inspiration of from Harry Styles, of all people, with <laughs> yeah. just his, like, his clothing and his just kind of like, I don't Andrew know. Cat. And my cat, yeah. Well, yeah. So Nomis is Simon backwards, and I had Simon for 18 years, so kind of drew inspiration from that too. I um, I actually start with a name first. That's how I've built every single one of my characters. Is I start thinking of like a cool name. So we'll start with Woods. So Woods is actually named officially named Melwood, which is actually an exit um, on 64 <laughs> in Louisville, um, which. A character before this in our practice campaign, I named Grinstead. For my job, I do a lot of driving, and I just like the name Grinstead. So anyway, so that was for the practice campaign, and then for this one, I was like, oh, Melwood, that would be fun. Um, and then I kind of just I build it off of that, you know. So Woods, like she's in a forest and like has a lot of like naturey things with her, um, but then I also just draw on like my own personality, like. It's hard for me to play introverted characters because I'm just not introverted. Um, we might see that coming soon, but um, I like to work out. So I just, I try to pull on things I know because then it's easy to play the character when you know, like I'm into snacking, I'm into working out. Like, <laughs> so it's just easy when you, it's hard to make stuff up that you're not familiar with. So is your next character going to be like Shelbyville, Zorn, or <laughs> Zorn, Story Zorn, Avenue? Hersborn, Blankenbaker. This is Blankenbaker. Um, Gene Schneider. Gene, that would be like Gene good for you, though. Schneider. Gene Good old this is. This is Gene? Ooh. But I that's do good, think I like. Name. I do like Watterson, though. Watterson. Watterson. For, a, for a surname. <laughs> Oh, Watterson the Druid. Oh, that'd be a great Druid character. That would be good. Thanks, Louisville, for inspiring yeah, us yeah, on our characters. All right. Now let's jump over to a question from Ray. 
Hi, I was wondering if each player could talk about either an NPC or a situation that they are currently suspicious of. Thanks. <laughs> Everyone, everything. <laughs> I didn't build a lot of trust in this world for you guys, I feel like. I have one. I honestly sometimes wonder if we are on the wrong side. Like it's not an NPC or it's literally our entire existence. Like I wonder, are we actually the bad guys in this? Are we stopping um, Benson and the order from like doing the good and like our soul supposed to be merged? Like sometimes I wonder like, are we gonna find out that we're the bad people? I've been feeling that same thing, especially in season two. Like as we kind of learn about like the merging, like, you know, just questioning, like maybe not suspicious, but like questioning, like what, what is, what does all this really mean? Like what, what's really going on here? So, um, I think questioning like the, the order and then like what's going on. Like, I, it's just the whole thing. Like, I don't know, I'm rambling on here, but yeah. <laughs> um, in Nomis's single episode, he got very suspicious of um, Damien. Damien, just looking at all the experiments, and actually was very suspicious of Woods from. Oh yeah, I remember that. What he saw in there, but never really got to carry it out. So, um, so I think I would agree with with Nick and Sam about being suspicious of the order, and I kind of carried that over to Kincaid, who I'm sure y'all know loved. The order of light. Yeah. So. The torches. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's a specific NPC where I was just like, I don't believe. Also, there's a small part of me that Amelia, like I love Amelia and Mike like puts Amelia up on this little pedestal. It's one of Mike's <laughs> favorite characters. So I definitely think we're going to see her in the future. And I think something big is going to happen there. I just, again, I don't know what side of all this she's going to be on. And uh, so for for Vaso himself, you know he had that bad experience on the Dorma side. Um, so you know he's always he doesn't like that side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know he he saw the monster and the colossal. Um, yeah, and the the he saw the other guy on the other side. Hex. I think um, was yeah, the Hex. I yeah. need to re-listen to your episode because I listened to it when I was having dental work done <laughs> and I was like, getting some nitrous oxide. So you were like really high. Yeah, like, I, like, was, oh. I was like, it was like a dental like procedure or whatever. So they were like, oh, you listened to her. And I was like, perfect. I'll listen to Nick's episode. I remember like slices of it. So I think I should listen to both of your one yeah. character episodes. I'm a little sus, as they say now, of... <laughs> Betsy, I don't think she's running that entire store. That I'm on I, leather. I think she's got a front for yeah, something. They're, 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 they're they're little, yeah, something I think she's got like a little shard side laundering gig. or something like yeah. that. Like something. Yeah. Oh, that would be a cool backstory. Because yeah, her le- it was pretty <laughs> gross. There's Betsy and Betty. Yep. See, they're cahoots with something. I think there's something it's going a, on there. It's a little sus. No, I, I, I. They have a multi-city chain. Yeah. Something's happening there. That's a really good question. <laughs> All righty. This one is coming from Jeff. Hey, Mike. I just wanted to ask you a question in regards to uh, the podcast. How did it feel moving your D&D table from a small private setting group uh, to being um, being and hosting a podcast? Uh, yeah. Please, please let me know. Thank you. So what was it like going from a private table to a public space? Sometimes I forget that other people listen to us. <laughs> I think at first... We were like, or at least for me, like I was like, oh my God, like everybody's listening. But like, as we got 
as we did a couple of episodes, I kind of, I kind of like put that out of my head and now we're just kind of, we just do our thing. We just do our thing and we just kind of don't even think about it. Well, it was also nerve wracking because we had headphones on and then we got mics in front of us. Yeah. Recording everything, then going back and listening to it, you're like, "Oh man, <laughs> that's what I sound like um, playing D and I definitely hated listening to myself the first few times I was editing. I was like, "This is horrible. I should not be editing." <laughs> I think, I think the most like weird thing. It was fun, but weird was doing our live session. Oh yeah, and Mike throwing all those puzzles at us. Which oh my never gosh, throws we puzzles. never do puzzles. I, so now I'm being re- not only am I being recorded, but now I have people watching me trying to solve puzzles, live. and that did not jive no. well at all for me. <laughs> really? And I think I missed a lot of the story that day because yeah. I just like I was like this is too much no, it's probably <laughs> it was sensory overload some post-traumatic to go listen yeah. to it after. yeah we're in this like massive room yeah, with these like, like people like and then... watching me like no don't no, watch normally me. we would figure those puzzles out I mean you, you like, would not me but like I was just like oh my god there's so much going on here yeah. it just it was so, it was such a fun experience it was fun I'm not saying it was I was yeah, that had was a good different. time but yeah. I like that um it totally forced us to do theater of the mind and like we no longer have a map and minis and we no longer move things i think we also spend less time on tactical i'm gonna move 15 spaces here and do this and do that like and we try to describe more what we're doing which i really like yeah i like that it, it forces because we used to play with the battle map and miniatures mm-hmm. i'd print out little monsters on binder clips yeah. and move them around and it was fun. That is a fun way to play D&D, but I definitely enjoy the theater of the mind. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit faster pace. Yeah. I also don't have to keep standing up and sitting down, <laughs> which I enjoy. So This is very much more story-oriented versus yeah. just, like, we have fun playing D&D, like, when we used to do it, but yeah. I feel like we're trying to progress the story and situation yeah, and not... More, like, improv, too, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That was a good mm-hmm. question. Thanks, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, awesome question. All right. Now, let's jump back to Anne. Do you have a favorite moment from the show overall and or do you have a favorite moment from season one and season two? Um, And is there anything that really threw you for a loop? One of my favorite ones was we were riding the Chapacas. (laughs) I was like, I can't ride a Chalupa. Oh, I that love was that. Funny. That was really funny. Oh. Not everyone can ride a chalupa. Not everyone, Not everyone can ride a chalupa. Uh, season one, I liked when we did that like Iron Chef cook-off thing. <laughs> oh, and I yes. was like, the chicken's naked. <laughs> like, And I just like, that was really fun for me because I like to cook it. So playing somebody who has no clue how to cook, that was a lot of fun. That was pretty funny. I remember that because I was like, how is Sam acting this up? Because she knows how to do all of this. <laughs> and she's pretending she doesn't. And she's doing so well at it. Uh, I liked when we all decided to sneak out to go to the bar. Oh, have Wallace, was, Wallace was actually trying to convince us to sneak out because his friend was there. Yeah. So we yeah. snuck out. And then Nomus, being Nomus, decided he was going to get up on stage and sing. Lois and Only to find that Damien was there. Uh, Benson. Oh, Benson. Damien was there and yeah, Benson was yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, and then we got busted and... Yeah. yeah, that was funny because like there was pictures of Benson on the wall. Yeah, right. I, like, like, I think I was, oh, singing. and then they're like, "Oh, that's Benson with the owner," and you're like, "I'm gonna go sing." Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like great balls of fire. Or yeah, because <laughs> yeah. you're trying to uh, wingman uh, Wallace with uh, Fabrita. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I was just trying to help an elephant out. <laughs> you know, I like I guess season two. 
I guess I have two things. So season two, I like this whole deity thing that Woods is going through. It's so cool to just play and be able to do that and to work for like it's hard to do and I have to work for it and I like the character growth that's happening there. But I also love when Woods and Noma or Woods and um Vaso get in a fight. Like it's oh, yeah. my favorite thing. <laughs> Role playing, like yelling and screaming and fighting with you is so fun. Like I don't know how it I think we just feed off each other really well. I, I it's one of my favorite things to do. Yep. I also love when <laughs> Ryan Kincaid kings it like they're still arguing. Like, <laughs> or I just leave. You're like, I hate yeah. it. You're always like, I hate it when mom and dad fight. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on, mom. Yep. I'm done. You guys have any season two call outs, favorite okay. moments? Or anything that threw you for a loop that you weren't expecting? Oh, I got my arm cut off. <laughs> yeah. I feel like... <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Was like, so he can't. Yeah. Episode. So he goes from this big guy who handles this big two handed axe to. You know, he has to be an elegant swordsman. Yeah, finesse. <laughs> yeah. So he has to adjust, and that's a curveball for him. I just love how that was the first episode where I was like, I'm going to start doing this D100 yeah. for severity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> first episode, I decided well, to do that, and you're like, I rolled a crit fail. I'm like, awesome. I rolled a two. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it five? Wasn't thought, it five? I thought it was a two. Oh, it was a two. Yeah. It was, oh, I thought it was a five for some reason. It was a <laughs> I was two. like, well, here we go. <laughs> I kind of liked in season two, the last episode, we spent all that time trying to plan how we were going to get Nomis, and finally we were like, we're Screw good at chaos. Yeah. Let's yeah. just go in Let's there just, and mess things up. up you know? And then all three of us just went in and just messed things up in mm -hmm. our own way. And then you died. Nomis went down. You also almost went down. We all almost died in that episode. Look, I'm 2,000 years old with only 36 hit points, so <laughs> it was bound to happen. <laughs> the crustiest hit points ever oh! <laughs> someone stepped on my heel i went yeah. down <laughs> i got a scab flaking off my skin the, the favorite part about that episode for me though was hearing you guys plan and knowing because i designed it that there was a very easy solution that you guys didn't think of and what i still don't think you guys have it figured out yet when you were on the boat you asked if you could stick your head out into Dorma. Uh -huh. I was like, yeah, you can, but the rift is going to be up in the air. Oh, hoop. We could have just grabbed him. <laughs> you could have sailed the boat on the Ivana side over the water to where the platform was, opened a rift on the top of your ship, and just like... Snatch and grab. Snatch and grabbed him. You would have had to outrun pirates, but I was like... I well, really he was locked up. When he, he had yeah, the key, was. we would have gotten it from the... He could have like just jumped right down in the middle of the table. I was like, I hope they don't do this because I don't know how I'd react to it, but this was a possibility. Wait, we knew we could do that. We just wanted to build a better story. Yeah, we wanted to build a better story. We just wanted ignorant. to blow stuff up. Yeah, you yeah. wanted to blow it up. We just wanted to spend two episodes planning. Because you guys are the good guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're the good, air quote, good guys. Duh. Uh, Mike, do you have any favorite scenes or aha moments or things? Um... I should have thought of one. <laughs> um, I Vasa got a girlfriend. Vasa got a girlfriend, which was it? hilarious. You inspired one of our t-shirts. Or uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I feel like that uh, was the shelf the shelf phone landed really well. Yep. I thought that was hilarious. Horizon, Horizon oh. mobile. And you guys just went with the yeah. The so. t-shirt came out so so mm -hmm. well. Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite things from season two. It was just like, I think this would be funny. And it landed so well. And then you guys just went with it, adding Horizons. And then how many sandbars do you have? <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, you guys are doing awesome. 
So that was one of my favorites. Uh, season one, I really, really like how <laughs> Nomis got a bunch of information on his tour on a solo episode. And then Ryan played it really well or he was suspicious of both of you guys and like didn't really talk to you. And then he disappeared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I was like, okay, I guess I'm not introducing this. <laughs> and you guys have done a really yeah, good job. You actually, you wouldn't talk to me. Yeah, yeah you came That's looking right. for me because oh, you were gone, right? You, we yeah, were you trying were to looking, find you. Yeah, yeah, you guys were trying to find me. And you See, came and knocked on my door and I was like, mm, Season yeah. three is going to be great. You're suspicious of me, and you're pissed off at me. Oh, yay. What a great start. Yay. That's just every episode. <laughs> oh, and I remember um, season two, we were saving that boat um, that was sinking. Or it oh, was the getting, coffee shit? Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, there was that, that band on the Oh, that was on the, the cruise boat, ship. And I was like... And I, I think I met uh, Nomis' dad. Oh, that yeah. was the cruise. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't the coffee thing. That was the cruise ship. You that met Nomis' dad. It was a yeah. random encounter before that. And then that. you just like, and I'm like verbal diarrhea. Yeah, verbal diarrhea. Uh, just, your son's missing. Yeah, but, but it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm his friend. You know, we, we used to be in order until, you know, I backstabbed him. And <laughs> we all went AWOL. <laughs> So, that was so funny. The best part was it's happening, and Ryan and I are looking at each other with like cartoon eyes. Like, what, what is he doing? So fast forwarding, that is the reason I had uh, Captain Brandon get captured. It was because he was then made aware that oh. Captain Brandon was escorting you guys. Well, way to go, oh, man. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, yep. so that was kind of a fun, like, oh, I can use this now. Yeah, but they, they, the characters don't know that. The characters don't know that yeah. at all, no. That's cool to know. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. That's what I love about D&D is, like, I have, like, main story points, like, high-level points, and then you guys fill in the details of all sorts of stuff that I can pull from. <laughs> so I guess going back to the inspiration, a lot of it's from what my players do. <laughs> Glad we can help. Uh, yeah, because you'll take stuff from our backstory and introduce it. I'm like, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember exactly where Wait, I was going with who that. Who is this but... person? Mike's like you wrote four pages about them. Oh yeah, <laughs> let me, let me I did, didn't I? Yeah, and pulling from the backstories, um, like you know, we met Vaso met, or everybody met Vaso's dad. <laughs> didn't know his name. <laughs> I did um, find it out by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you know, in my backstory, I said that he was nonviolent, and you know, once we met him, we found out more like why he kind of he used to be into order and now he wanted to step away from that because you know he found out what the order was all about and why he's more peaceful so you know just drawing from backstories and yeah you know. and mike you do that very well yeah Pulling you do a really our, good job of that you incorporate it really this, really well i think this will feed in great to michael's question this is michael i've been listening to your show since i think the very beginning and something I've really noticed over time is how well you build long-term character arcs. I think we've seen some that stretch across multiple seasons. And it's something that I'd like to do a better job of imitating at my own table. And so my question is, how do you go about doing that? What is your process for both building a character and then working together with your dungeon master to write without spoiling it, a long-term story that you can collaborate on together and that has enough blank spaces for you to fill in in the future. 
Uh, anyway, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed all the hours I spent listening to you and all the laughs you've given us. I mean, I think it first starts at the beginning when we start. Mike asks us to make a backstory and not just like a paragraph. I think my backstory for this character is like six or seven pages and there's some dialogue in there between some NPCs in my world and like he goes as far as to say, okay, like where are you from? Explain your city, explain what you do. Like, so there's a lot of stuff, but then there's also, I think we as players do a good job of leaving like some plot hooks in there where like, hey, like I'm just gonna throw this out here. I don't know what that backstory looks like. I don't know like um, what happened before, but like it's a good spot for Mike to come in and be like, hey, you know, we can build off of this moving forward. So I think I think it really started with our backstories. Yeah, and I, I think like before that, like we have like a general understanding of like what the world is and like kind of, oh yeah, you know, kind of set those parameters, like what to expect. But then, like, it allows us to kind of just, we, we just build off of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you um, do a really good job of, like, giving us an actual world map, especially in this campaign. Here's the world. Here's every city. This is what they're known for, the type of, like, race that lives there, what their exports are, what their industry is. So then we get to pick where we come from in that world. So I think you do, we do, you do a really good job, like, laying it all out in the beginning. Yeah, I think I'll piggyback what Sam said, like, you do a really good job of taking stuff in our backstory and using it. So it's fun to write a backstory and figuring out what ammo can I give Mike? Yeah. So for Nomus, it was Grace disappeared and I woke up with a wooden dagger and Grace was like a, I feel like a pretty integral part of season one. Yep. And I didn't know when I was building Nomus that Grace would have that big of a part or know like the significance of the wooden dagger. So yeah, just, just giving you that ammo. It, it's fun seeing you take it and, and run with it and i absolutely love it when they give me that ammo because like there's a big thing that's going to be happening in s- season three all do because brian put in he got a wooden dagger in his backstory like i had no idea what i was gonna do with it at first and then i was like oh that's cool and then as i was marinating i was like oh i'm gonna use this and i was like oh that's cool so now these wooden weapons are showing up so sam got a wooden bow you guys have seen the wooden gauntlets that you got from, you didn't get it, but the- The gloves, yeah. The uh, Harbinger's gauntlets um, from the Chaos live show. Yeah. So Ryan, you might have to re-listen to that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I got a lot to re-listen to. I think you do a really good job of inherently knowing our backstories, because I feel like there's a lot of time that you'll say something and you'll stare at us and be like, it was in your backstory. And they're like, cool, let's just pause for five minutes and we reread my backstory. Like, oh yeah, I did say that. I do like to reread all of them. I also tend to have a couple of rules at my table, which I think help a lot. And one of the main rules I have is your character has to be inclined to work with people. Mm-hmm. Like everyone loves, or not everyone, but that trope of that lone wolf or that shadowy road character. Those are fun in like video games, but it doesn't work in D&D that well. And the reason I don't like it is because yes, you might be in your mind space role playing amazingly, but you're gonna be forcing somebody else to come up with a reason that they would cooperate with this person. So you're like taking them out of the role playing, the involvement in the world. So I kind of hold my characters to like, hey, you need to be somebody that works well with others or at least is motivated to work with people. I think also you force us to have a flaw. And so during our character development, we always try to like, what's our flaw? What's our downside? And like, 
Parker Woods at snacking, right? Like sometimes it we've seen in this, like she's made bad decisions because she was so hungry or like she's slows things down because she needs a snack. And before this campaign, we played another campaign and one of my characters was afraid of water, like <laughs> deathly afraid of water. So I played an entire session for three hours, basically unconscious because we had to be on a boat and I couldn't handle it. And like, so I think he, he does a good job of like, making us play characters that aren't perfect, even though sometimes it may seem like, oh, you're turning into deities and doing all this stuff. Like we have flaws and like you push that, um, which I think is just more fun. I also think it's fun to think about the motivations of so Sam and mentioned this on the backstory buildup. I have them tell me like what their goals are, like what is driving your character? Like, I don't care what their deeds are. Yeah, I can use that ammunition, but their character is what you can use a lot more because you can put them in fun situations like you know like throw a burning building out there like is that person going to risk going into the fire to get somebody or are they going to go get help like where are their motivations at is a lot more enjoyable to play with yeah like Kincaid and Captain Brandon like you were going to do anything to save Captain Brandon like it's like you owed him a debt yeah you know all right let's go back to Sue she's got a second question Hi, this is Sue. I am calling in regards to the questions for D&D. Um, this one is for, and I have called earlier, but um, this one came to light and I'm so curious about it. Um, I was listening to uh, Woods the other day and talking about the pirates and all that stuff, but um, he had made some affirmations that I thought were quite insightful and um, insightful. And I was just curious, did he find that written somewhere? Um, in some books, uh, is that a D&D process, or is that something she just made up at the time? It was very um, insightful, as I said, and um, I'm calling them affirmations um, for the character of Wood. I would like to know how she came about that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, again, enjoying the podcast very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sue, you are the cutest listener I've officially <laughs> dubbed. Um... Uh... Yeah, I made it all up. So now, like, I don't, I just did. I, um, I'm actually looking at my notebook that I like keep as we play. Sometimes I'm like writing notes, and I kind of feel bad because during those episodes, I wasn't really paying attention to what the other guys were doing at the table because I was so focused on what I was going to say because I knew I had to convince Mike to let me do this. And I knew the other two, I knew both other players at the table were like, okay, this isn't going to, this isn't going to work out. So if I failed at it, I knew I was going to let the people down at the table because I wasn't doing actions. Right. And I had to really convince him, convince Mike. And then my goal, when I first originally started the character, I wanted to play a Ranger Paladin multi-class at some point, which is a really difficult thing to do because just the D and D stats don't match up. Um, but I was like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so, I needed to figure out how to bridge that. And I felt like, hey, if I come out and pledge myself, make this my paladin pledge, um, then maybe I can like, that's what my character can kind of turn into. So yeah, I was just drawing on some stuff from the backstory and um, Mike had given us a little yin yang with all of the gods and stuff. Um, so I was just pulling off of that and just, I don't know, just trying to be a little creative and think that if I personally was in this dire situation and I was like waiting for a miracle 
um, what are the things that I would say? Like what pleading down on my knees, like, you know, crawling in the phantom shrine in Portugal, like what are the things that I would say? Um, and so that's kind of, I don't know what I came up with. And I think it's awesome that you did that because I think when you were doing that, you knew the situation was critical that you really needed that form to bail us out. So I think you being withdrawn from the story just made it more believable of like, I don't know what's going on and this is what I need to do as my character Yeah. to make it happen. And I remember when you were reading it, Mike and I locked eyes a couple of times and he was like nodding like, oh yeah. And I remember him <laughs> jotting something down. So I was like, she's getting a plus for something. This, so. Surprisingly, I didn't get inspiration, but whatever. Um, you got to roll three dice. I was like, at one point I rolled four dice. Like yeah. you were just like letting me go. Well, you kept coming up with good things. So I definitely was going to have you just go down to one. Yeah. Because you were trying to like fight while doing it. And I was like, yeah. she's distracted. Then you kept coming up with these things, obviously showing that Woods was trying not to be distracted. So yeah. like, well, okay, roll three dice, you know? Like. Well, and I think too, it shows like how much trust that she has in the other two and in, in Kincaid and Vaso, because like, especially the first couple of times, like I was just sitting there and like you're in Vaso's dad's house. I'm sitting cross-legged, just assuming you guys are going to protect me. You know yeah. what I mean? So I yeah, think it's a big trust Yeah, I got my arm cut off. Yeah. <laughs> That's how dedicated he was to save I know, but I saved us. I saved you us. You did. Yeah, no, I, I just remember, like, whenever you're doing that, you're you're just writing stuff down. You're, like, in the zone, just, yeah. and, then, and then you read it out loud, and it's like, you you just made that up on the spot. Like, that's, yeah. that's pretty impressive. It was so. cool. It's my favorite part of D&D is the, the improv. It's my absolute favorite. It's just, like, creating stuff on the spot and, like, forcing your brain. Um, and actually... It, I'm in sales outside, so it really like is an exercise almost for my brain because then I'm just so much better thinking on my feet outside of the table. So I really like it. All right. This one is a off-air question, so it's read by me. Have you thought about moving the random encounter roles to being done off-air so Alicia doesn't know that the event is random? So what are our thoughts on that? I originally had it kept in because I wanted to highlight how you can play D&D. You know, like the dungeon master is not the one that needs to drive the story. So that's kind of what I liked about having the roles in there and showing the players coming up with elements to bring into it. But now that we've highlighted that, do we want to remove that part of it so you guys, the listener doesn't know that it's a random encounter? I mean, I think removing it would, would be kind of fun. Yeah. Because I can see it from a listener's point of view of if we're all sitting around the table and we know like, this is going to happen this time of day. This, you know, it's going to be good or bad. The listener already knows, like, no matter what we come up with, it's got to be a bad situation. So I think if we remove that element of predetermining for the listener that it's going to be good or bad, it's just more of a continuation of a side story. Yeah. Like, I think we did a random encounter where we met the two traveling beer salesmen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. That could have turned bad really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that would have kind of been a fun twist if they would have known, wouldn't like, have, yeah. wouldn't have known it was a good encounter. encounter. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, I think we, like, move it to a more, like, silent mechanic. Yeah, we'll still do it at the table, but maybe edit that part out yeah. so the yeah. listener doesn't hear it. From a dungeon master, though, that is one of the favorite things I've added to our table. We yeah. started mm-hmm. adding it when we started recording. And so many fun elements have came out from it, such as we talked about it earlier. Like, I had no intention for you guys to run into Nomis's traveling troop yeah. until you guys brought it up. And I was like, this, they'd, yeah, they'd be on this boat. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, 
So that was a complete not planned by me. And it was like, oh, this worked out really well. And then it ended up causing downstream cascading things through the story. Like I love being able to have my players have an avenue to like do that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you keep that aspect, but we'll edit that part out. And then, you know, once we, you know, figure out like a good, bad situation, what it is, we'll just, we'll play it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that could work. All right. It'd be fun. I'm on board. All right, we're going to have another question. I don't Have I played one from Madison yet? I don't think so. so this is a Madison's question. Hey, Characteristic Tales. This is your friend, Madison. Um, I just had a few questions, and of course, I can't think of them all right now. I'll probably call back later. But I know one question is for Mike. Mike, do you just do all of this impromptu, or how much practice and preparation do you have to do per episode? Or is it one episode you do a ton of work and then you just give up and then it's full impromptu? I'm so curious. And I have another question. Are we ever going to figure out the best way for Woods to be able to channel her inner goddess that's not like more than 10 seconds? Because that would be a mega episode. <laughs> but I don't want it to take forever. I would love to know that answer. So, um, when I have more questions, I'll give you more calls. Have a good day. Bye. All right. So when it comes... I love Madison. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love everyone that called in, but I particularly love Madison. Uh, If you recognize Madison's voice, she did a one shot with us where they were playing... uh, She was a pirate, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to DMing, you want to avoid what's called railroading, which is you are just basically telling a story and the players are coming along for the ride. The way that happens is when you're over planning. So it's a weird skill to have because you're the one telling the story, but I'm not the one telling the story. So when I come up with my D&D planning, I come up with a goal that I want the players to learn. So this session, I want them to learn that Woods is wanted by the Night Circle. That was my goal for the Stringham episode. And then from there, I just let the dice fall as they may. And then when the opportunity comes up, I'll stamp at that. So in that fight in particular, there was somebody, Woods jumped up on top of a building and was like firing arrows down. So she put herself in like this very predominant spot. So it's like, oh, I'm going to have one of the pirates have a wanted poster looking at Woods, looking at this picture and kind of seeing the resemblance. So like that's the way that that goal came about. But that's what I love about D&D as the dungeon master. I just have these high level points and I let the players kind of fill in everything else for me on those details. Which is so fun to play, coming from uh, somebody who, when they DM, I really struggle with railroading because is as much as I love being on the spot as a player, like when I start to build my own story, it's like so hard. I want everyone to kind of come along and I've thought it out so much. So I struggle as a DM and I don't like doing it. So it's really cool that Mike is so good at it. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, as far as my question, Madison, I would love it. I would love it <laughs> if I didn't have to profess my love to my goddess for 17 turns in a row and roll dice to get them to match and come up with fun things to say. So I think that in season three, now that I've, I'm going to multi-class into a, um, a paladin, I think we'll come up with some sort of mechanic that if I'm going to be allowed to harness my deity moving forward, we'll figure out what that looks like. But because yes, it becomes a little cumbersome. 
So with that, and a little bit of foreshadowing in that as well, you have to remember that the deities have a lot of power, a lot of abilities, and they have basically a lot of energy. And Woods is a mortal being. So if they try to pour all their energy in, there's going to have to be some payoff or trade. Mm. Yeah, basically, I'm just going to be immortal is what Mike's <laughs> trying to tell you. So just look for me. You're just going to turn into a goddess. I'm just going to be a goddess. It's fine. It's cool. It's whatever. I mean, someone's going to do it, so I'll do it. Well, we're going to continue on the woods train. Oh, golly. And Shannon has a question. Oh, I also love Shannon. Hey, it's Shannon, longtime listener, first-time caller. <laughs> um, and my question for the pod is, are we going to get a backstory on woods? We got a little bit of that whole seeing her twin when she was really young. We got a backstory with Vasso and having Clyde and his mother. We have backstory on Nomas, a little bit of Kincaid. I want to hear more about Woods. So that's my question. Thanks. Bye. I mean, yeah, I have a really fun backstory. I'm in for it. I mean, really, I'm in for it. I think there's a couple of times over the seasons where especially when her and Bonnie were talking, Woods is a little protective over her backstory. Um, and I think that is because she's really confused on why, I think at the beginning she was really confused on why she was there. But now as um, she really has drawn this connection with Lucha, she's starting to understand a little bit more. But I'm, I mean, I'm up for it if the DM wants to do it. Yep, I actually had a couple of things planned for Sam's backstory in the, episode where they fell into the river by car hang and they got swept downstream uh, they had a choice to make and that was it was a three-day walk to Vasa's hometown or was a two-day boat ride to woods's hometown i had planned both scenarios so i have stuff already kind of set aside for if uh, they end up at woods's place but i'm never gonna force that and that's where kind of that same concept we're talking about with not railroading like I have ideas I'm just gonna leave them there if they don't use it it's not the end of the world I can recycle that same material later like I don't throw things away I can just use it if they ever decide to go to woods I'll have something prepared already I think woods will have to really and myself have to really think about how she's gonna interact with, with her backstory and with her family and everything there because she has really focused forward I think so I think I'll have to th- I'll have to think about that if we if we get to that in this season, which I hope we do because it's. Um, I think my backstory was good. Right. Oh, we're definitely going to your hometown. Oh, we're gonna go oh, now. We're going now. <laughs> That's, now we're That's going. It. All right. Shannon motivated me. Yes. All right. We're going. Well, fine. Let's go. We got really great snacks there. <laughs> That's what we're doing. That's the plan of action. That's just a season. <laughs> season three. That's season three. Opens. Go to Woods' home. Del Sanctuary. All righty. Walter had texted me this one today, so I didn't get a recording of it. But the question is for really Nick. Over the course of the podcast, we have seen one-shot episodes led by Ryan and by Sam. So, Nick, have you ever had the itch to run a one-shot as a dungeon master? Uh, so I have never DM'd. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I might, I might try <laughs> one time in the future. I mean, I would like to be at that table when you DM 100%. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I know nothing about it. I, you know, but yeah, I mean, I'm, well, I'm if, open if to it. If you ever decide, I will, uh, maybe I won't play and I can just be your little uh, 
Yeah, I'm I, man behind the chair yeah. or whatever. Yeah, like, <laughs> you can just sit behind the curtain. Literally, yeah. They have really cool ones that you they're actually like pre-done where you can just like read the story and take your own spin on it if okay. you wanted to. You're such a good player. I'm I'm not saying you wouldn't be a good DM, but you're really just such a good player. Yeah, yeah I just go along and you know. I'd just... rather play than DM. What about you? Always Ryan? a player, never a DM. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing Ryan's DMing something right now with um, Shannon, one of the callers that just called in. Me, Mike, and Shannon, Mike gets to play. What are your? I like DMing, but I'm more of a. I want to tell a story through it. Yeah. So mine is is definitely very, I guess, linear. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, like for Mike, your example of like I gave you the decision if I wanted you to go to, Faso's hometown or Woods's hometown. I would have been like, I have something really cool planned at Woods' hometown. <laughs> so I'm going to plant the seed, like, maybe you should go to Woods' hometown. So I don't know. I need to do better about being more not railroading and let things happen. But I just, I have a story I want to yeah, tell. Yeah. And that's it's that's it's, how I DM. It's weird to let go of stories. And I always, when people talk to me about D&D, I always like, I like D&D because I'm a bad storyteller. And they're like, but you run the game. I'm like... Yes, and as a Sam, I'm going to attest to this. When I tell a story, I am always focused on the wrong details. I spend too much time over here. Yeah, like, I am not linear in my thought process and stories. Yeah. So D&D works great for me because I'm like, I'll just have highlights yeah. <laughs> and then let them tell the story. So My favorite yeah. um, of Mike, like real life, he'll be telling a story and then he realizes he's lost in his own story <laughs> and I get these eyes like, sent over me. like help save me and I'm like yeah so and then I just take over and I literally watch his body relax he goes <sighs> okay like his shoulders relax and it probably looks like I'm like railroading my own husband and like taking over his stories but really the physical cues that he's giving me he like starts to sweat I'm like I got you I got you I'm coming in all right we got another question from Anne what was it like at the um, convention? Did you kind of feel a little bit famous? What was that like? And who is going to do the voice for the introduction next season? And have you decided what accent you're going to use yet? <laughs> Did you feel famous at Gen Con? Um, <clears throat> no. no. I mean, <laughs> we should. We should have because yeah. twelve of us went in wearing like matching shirts and yeah. handing out all this swag. Like, hey, check out our podcast! Check out yeah. our podcast! We're doing a live podcast, and I don't know. I think there yeah. was two hundred. There's five hundred people walking around Gen Con with our like paper fans that had all of our information and stuff on it. We were handing out koozies and a bunch of stuff. So it was Gen Con was really cool. It was a really cool immersive experience. Um, it was a lot. It was exhausting. We got to play with some fun people. The cool thing, I think, a couple of times, some ran we ran into like random people again. They're like, "Oh, hey, you!" And they like would pick up their lanyard or something like that. Like that was fun, um, but not quite famous yet. <laughs> the live show is nerve wracking for sure, yeah. at least yeah. for me. Um, but yeah, Mike definitely good good job. Yeah, you yeah, did a great job yeah. with that. The live show was a lot of fun. I <laughs> I loved planning for the live show. I did feel bad that it was so puzzle oriented because you guys so, don't like yeah. puzzles, but I was like, I wanted something to engage with the crowd. Yeah, and, and you, you got audience members like to come to up and actually play. That yeah. was, was a lot cool. of fun. I was excited to see like people actually see how they would react to like coming up. Um, 
So I really enjoyed how it all ended up working. And the stories, I still got to tell a little bit of the background in the yeah. story. So that's kind of fun. So let's do a couple of more. Wait, she had a uh, second part. It was oh. um, the intro. Intro. Oh, yeah. So I think before we started the questions, I think we determined that yours truly would be doing the intro for dun, season dun, dun, dun. three. But I don't want to give away the theme or how we're going to do it. So Are you going to use an accent? But we'll see. We might have to <laughs> yeah. do several takes. TBD. 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 Yeah. Well, we can take several takes. That's the power of editing. <laughs> that would mean uh, Sir Nicholas has got season four on Season four. So it'll be all about my backstory, but you can do the intro. <laughs> there you go. It's like, yeah, this season's about this really annoying girl oh, named Woods. So <laughs> funny. All right, I think we've answered this question, but let's hear what Brandon's second question was. This is Brandon from Chicago calling in again with a multi-part question, I guess, uh, for the DM. Uh, how long did it take you to come up with the storyline? Uh, did you come up with it um, all at once, or is it uh, you came up with the premise, and as the story has progressed, uh, you come up with the, the next portion of the adventure and if so, um, where do you, I guess, come up with the idea for where to go and uh, draw your inspiration from for the storyline? All right. So this campaign, I wrote, I started writing it probably about six months before we started playing, like as a general outline. But for the most part, it is just a general outline. So Sam, kind of alluded to this at the beginning. When I start designing a campaign, I usually start with the world. So I'll make a world map, and then I'll come up with, hey, where would the cities be in this map? What would their exports be? And this all kind of boils down to what is everyone's intentions? So to me, it's a lot easier to plan things if I have an idea of, oh, everybody in this city is going to be more focused around fishing. Like that's the primary culture. So it's easier for me to be like, what types of things would go on in that situation? And then when my players throw random stuff at me, I have a basis to improv off of. So this one, I started planning about six months before, but it changes constantly until we record. Actually, for Sam can attest to this, I get like a huge nervous wreck about a week before we record. Like it's the worst time of my life. Oh my God, it's awful to I'm live with. Constantly second guessing, like, does this make sense? Do I need to change this? Is this mechanic broken? Yeah. Like, but then once we actually start recording, it's just like it all, all the stress melts away. And I'm like, well, what's done is done. Like, we're just moving <laughs> forward now. Um, and for the most part, we haven't had too many inconsistencies, um, which has worked out really well. So, fun fact, which we haven't shared with anyone yet this original storyline was supposed to be have like electricity and like oh, yeah. flying that, planes yeah, yeah. and like set kind of more in the future or like now not set in like high fey like or like high lore D D like medieval times. It was supposed to be more like a steampunk. Yeah, it was supposed to be more like a steampunk kind of thing. And like Mike was just like this was his idea. He was so excited about it. And us as players, we were like, oh we don't want to <laughs> do that. I don't think it's that we didn't want to do it. I think for our first, first attempt yeah. at a podcast, we wanted something more traditional yep. that we thought could relate to more listeners people, yep. more, like they would get it. I would totally be up for your steam. I think it was a cool idea, but I think we just, yeah. let's do something more traditional to start and then we can move into something more 
yeah more off token for a a dnd so we had we we didn't fight him on it we had just a lot of conversations and and i think we made the right call i think especially uh when i look at how nervous we were when we did the practice campaign oh yeah um or if you guys haven't listened to the practice campaign it's on our (laughs) website oh my gosh it's so bad i mean it's like good and fun but like there are multiple episodes where there's one episode I talk the entire time. I talk more than everyone combined because no one else was talking. <laughs> then there's episodes where we're all just talking over each other. We've gotten so much better at like sharing the table. My favorite was since we built the studio in the house, we, my, Sam and I have a tendency to always bring people up here. Like when people come over for dinner, just sit and chat. And one of my coworkers came over with his husband and we came up here and we were just chatting around. They loved it. And Sam was like, oh, you should... You should listen to like some of it. Just so what you think. So I played one of our episodes. She's like, why did you play that one? That was horrible. <laughs> it was so bad. And I was like, that's what it was when we started. I know. Though. Like, you know, we're so much better now just because we got yeah. used to yeah. being around the equipment. For sure. So if you are missing us in this little gap era um, and you haven't listened, it's 13 episodes, 17 episodes, Thir- 13 episodes, 13 episodes. Um, practice campaign on our website it's not bad it's funny yeah. there's um there's definitely some good stuff on it we get all the kinks out which i do think was really great for us as a begin is starting as a podcast was to have that time to make those mistakes and figure out audio and and now even season two we have music and sound effects and mike keeps going back and forth i think i'm gonna go re-edit every episode in season one and add music and like that is so much that's work. a huge undertaking yeah I just feel like it'd be so much better. Right? Well, yeah, I know. For the, then, then everyone can re-listen to it again. We can call it Mike's version. Yeah, remix. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, re-edited. All my T-Swift fans just totally got that. Um, let's do two more questions. We got a question from Anne. What would you say is the biggest similarity that you have with your character? And also, where do you think your personality is the most different from your character? Well, my guy is definitely introverted, like myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's got that, you know, that loyalty to, you know, the order type mentality. So, you know, um, I feel like that kind of, I kind of fall under that. As far as differ, hmm. Well, I got two hands. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You're a full human and not a quarter human. Quarter orc. Um, I don't know. like, I think that you're more, like, trustworthy of your friends in real life. Yeah. Like, you're not true. a skeptical. Like, you're not a skeptical person. Mm-mm. Yeah. And I feel like Vaso's, Vaso's jaded. He, he's skeptical. He's got skepticism. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. I know. That's just my take. Yeah. I agree with that. You have two characters, so I guess you can pick one. Well, I think Nomis obviously shares my love for music. But I have, like, no musical talent, and I think that probably comes through when I try to sing or act like I'm playing an instrument. But it's also fun because I'm trying to play Nomis as this, like, eyes on me, let's be showy, let me get your attention, entertain you. And apart from me trying to make horrible jokes and puns, (laughs) I typically don't like all eyes on me that much in a public setting. So it's fun to get out of my comfort zone a little bit and play a character that's kind of the opposite of me in some ways. I think uh, season three, Nomus slash Vibe, is going to be a mirror like you because you have multiple personalities. Ooh. <laughs> you think I have multiple personalities now? Shut up, Nick. How dare you? Uh, um, 
Well, I mean, we're definitely similar. You and Woods? Me and Woods, I think. I mean, just the things we like to do. Like, I like to work out. I like to snack. I think you are Woods. I think, I, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm just playing myself. It is. Can I? I hit, I'm going to say one difference. Yeah, go for it. Woods can shoot a bow. Okay, <laughs> easy. If I practiced, I'm sure I could throw a kitchen knife. If I practice, I mean, Woods can't cook, and I can cook. You're an amazing cook, so oh, you do different. Thank you. That was so sweet of you. I think personality-wise, I don't think I'm as intense as Woods is. I don't think I would as much as like. Vaso and Woods fight. I don't really like. Yeah, I'm not aggressive. Much. I try not. To, I don't get into it with people. I might like behind closed doors, like vent about it or things like that. But I, I think that I think I'm a. I think Woods is a more amped up version of me for sure. All right. And so for our last question, it was texted to me today. So again, we don't have audio, but it's from Alex. If you had to describe D and D and what it means to you, what would you say? Alex is from Salt Lake, my hometown. Oh, nice. One of my oldest friends. Oh, fun. You had to describe D&D and what it means to you. What Golly. would you say? I mean, it's it's almost like an escape. Like you go, sometimes you go like watch TV or play video games to like escape life for a little bit. But I think with D&D, it's different because you're actually sitting at a table with some of your closest friends interacting with each other. So it's mm-hmm. nice to like detach from the world a little bit, but you also detach from your electronics, which <laughs> it's hard to do nowadays. So it's fun to like, <laughs> actually sit at a table, talk, make jokes, laugh, and try to figure out things together and not rely on, you know, technology to, to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just love hanging out with you guys. And, you know, it's always fun to, like, make jokes and laugh together. And we, we get to do that during D&D, like, you know, so that, I mean, that's what I love about it. Yeah, so. we do it a lot, too. So it's also a good stress relief, yeah. like, to yeah. come here and, like, okay, <laughs> yeah. let's just, like, let's just laugh. For two well, hours, you steam. don't have anything yeah. to worry about. You don't have to think about anything, and it's, yeah, it's awesome. I think that it is such a safe space, and this, like, notion of play and, like, vulnerability, which outside of the studio or outside of your D&D table, you just don't get that. I think so many people are so concerned about what other people think of them or just putting their highlight reel up on Instagram or things like that, that they think it would be silly and stupid to sit around a table and play make believe, right? But it's so funny over the last like six years been playing and then the more we have the podcast and the more of my friends that are like, hey, will you teach me how to play D&D? <laughs> like I just just recently, one of my grad school friends texted me and was like, hey, I have a question. Will you teach me how to play D&D? And I'm like, heck yeah, man. Like, <laughs> so I just, I love the idea that it's just a space just to be like a kid and like just play and like, exercise creative muscles in our brains that society really doesn't want us to do. Interesting. That's my take. Similar to my take is D&D to me is a very creative process. So it allows me that opportunity to flex a different part of my brain that I don't use as often. So it's awesome to just be able to share that experience though also. Because I love a good story. That's why I I like movies, anime, reading books. Like I love a story and it's fun to be able to make a story with your friends so i think that's what i like most about it is the storytelling aspect i'm sure people have noticed because you don't do nearly as much combat as a normal D <laughs> yeah. stable combat's hard to listen to yeah it's hard to run yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. i shoot a bow <laughs> again what well, is awesome. it for our questions if you guys do have further questions make sure to 
email them to me at our email address, which is podcast at carriagerestales.com. You can find that on our website as well, or you can jump in the Discord, ask any questions you want. I can answer them on Discord, or we can do another mailbag episode like this. Yeah, feel free to hit us up on Instagram at carriagerestalesdnd. You can um, DM us directly. I think I like ending slash starting the new season like this so i think this will be a stable and things that we do yeah thank you all for your questions and listening to us and supporting us it, oh i definitely it means love a our lot listeners. yeah, <laughs> yeah y'all, are, y'all are awesome it's so, so wild i mean we kind of talked about this a little bit but we sit here and it, we feel like it's just the four of us but it's not it's all of you guys that listen and even you know the bunch of you that we don't know, you know what I mean? Like you're just out there and you're listening and we really appreciate it. So keep listening. We'll keep trying to entertain and we can just all play together. I think with that, we'll play the last little snippet from Anne. It wasn't a question. And I want to say that I enjoy listening to your show so much. I feel like I'm at the table with you. Um, And it's just, I look forward to every single episode. So I just want to say thank you. I know it's, a lot of work um and you know you've got fans so good job you guys are killing it i might cry <laughs> Ann, i love you thank oh. you Ann, and thank you to all of our listeners thanks guys yeah thank you so much ah looks like the bard has done it again what a splendid crowd y'all have been thank you so much for joining us here at the cottage rest inn Hey guys, it's Mike, your host and Dungeon Master of Carriage Rest Tales. I just want to say thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. It really means a lot to us. If you are enjoying the content and you haven't already, please give us a five-star review. It's really going to help us grow our listenership and be able to reach more people. I also want to give a special thanks to Tabletop Audio for providing the background music for today's episode.